It is, uh, it is great to be back this morning. Angie and I missed you last week. We were in uh, Tennessee and Texas over the last uh, few days, and I was so grateful for who you are, missed you. I, I had an experience that kind of reminded me how grateful I am for you. When we were in Tennessee, I went uh, in the mornings to work out with a friend up there, and we went to a, a community center that was a senior adult community center, but they had a workout room. And you get in for a dollar, like that's a deal, like a dollar and you're in. But one of the things I noticed, we went in the room and we're working out and everybody in there is um, significantly older than I am, significantly older. And they all knew each other. And one of the things I noticed, they're talking to each other. They know about each other's ailments and what ointments work for that and what to use in your hair when it starts leaving. Uh... One man, my man is on a rowing machine in blue jeans, boots, and a button-down shirt, killing it. I mean, he's on a row. But what stood out to me was they're all talking to each other and they know each other. They didn't say a word to me any morning I went. Now, at first I took it personally, and then I thought, you know, that reminds me of a lot of churches I've been in. Where everybody just talks to everybody they know, and nobody talks to people they don't know. And I thought about you, man, if you're a guest this morning, I hope you feel welcome here. If not, don't worry, they're going to get to you. They're going to get to you when the service is over. But it's a reminder, it's a reminder to us as a church family, a spiritual family, that there are people that come every single week. And yeah, it's awesome to connect with each other, but we also want to always make sure that people that have never been before know you really do matter here. You're just as important as anybody else here, and we're glad you're here. So thank you for being that kind of church. We're, we're continuing in the unique series. We made it all the way through. This morning, we're, we'll go just past halfway through this series. And during this series, there's a phone number that's going to be on the screen. Uh, you'll see it right now, but then it'll be in the lower corner. If you have a question during the message, if there's something that I say that doesn't make sense or, or you want to know more about or a thought that you have during the message... Uh, feel free to text me that. You can text this number, and this afternoon uh, I'll film a, a Q&A. I'll, I'll address the most common questions. I won't be able to get to everyone. Uh, we haven't been able to do that, but I take the most common ones. I'll film a video, and uh, that'll go up tonight on social media. And so you can check that out there, because we want to add as much value as we can to you in this series. And, and I really want to discuss the things uh, about this topic that you have questions about. Because I think there are a lot of churches that are answering questions nobody's asking. And so we want to make sure in the life of C3 we deal with things from Scripture that you're wondering about. And this morning, we're to number five. We've covered number two, three, and four in the Enneagram. And two, three, and four have to deal with the heart. And now we're going to be moving to five. And it's the biggest shift in the Enneagram numbers. The shift from four to five. Because five, six, and seven have to do with the head. Two, three, and four have to do with the heart, how I, how I feel about things. And the two translates that and how they serve and they help others. And the three translates that and how they win and how they lead and how they achieve. And the four translates that just in how, how do I feel about me? How do I feel about the world? How do I feel about people around me? But when we move to five, if you're a five in the Enneagram, uh, it's a big transition to the head. Now, one of the things we're doing is obviously we're looking at a biblical passage each week where a character in Scripture was one of the the types of personalities, the types of people we're talking about. It's much deeper than just personality. It has to do with how we're wired, how we think, how we process, what motivates us. And it's helpful because in this series, we've called it unique 
because it's a series about you. You're getting to know you. I'm getting to know me. But one of the beneficial things is the people that we're in relationship with, if you're married, your spouse or your kids, your parents, your siblings, your close friends, you're going to get to know a lot more about them. Our, Our oldest daughter, Kaylee, is a one. Our second daughter, Ashley, is a four. Nate is a five. Now, so I'm going to be talking about him a little bit today and a few other fives that I know. But here's something interesting that I've not talked about yet in this series. Whatever number you are, and if you're here and you're like, what are you talking about number? It's a tool called the Enneagram. You can go to our website, c3church.cc forward slash unique, Y-O-U-N-I-Q-U-E. And there's a test there, free online test. You can discover your number. There are other resources there. But with each number, you have what's called a wing. So if you're a five, for example, you can be a wing four or a wing six. Your wing is a number attached to the number you are, one side or the other. Now, it doesn't mean you don't have a lot of characteristics from another number that's not attached, but Nate is a five wing four. So he's half heart, half head, and it can be very conflicting. (laughs) And so uh, some of you are are five four, and they're two different types of of wiring inside you, but it is a huge gift. Five, you are a gift to the world. You're called the observer. You're very intelligent, usually. You're very intellectual. You take things in. You observe things around you. You're, you're always processing, often seeing things other people don't see from an intellectual perspective. If you are a five, here are some fives you might know or know of. Albert Einstein, Bill Gates, Jacqueline Kennedy. They were all fives. But in Scripture, here's what's fascinating. What I think is probably the most famous, most well-known passage in all the Bible has a five in it. You've seen the verse. Maybe you've never read it. Maybe you're very familiar with it. You've seen it in football stadiums, baseball stadiums, the stuff under the eyes, John 3.16. Well, it's that John 3 passage where this guy named Nicodemus approaches Jesus to have a conversation. And Nicodemus is a five. He's an observer. In John chapter 3, we read these words. Now, there was a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. Now, we don't really get the fullness of what this means without digging in a little bit deeper. So when it says he was a, a member of the Jewish ruling council and a Pharisee, Nicodemus was among the most elite, the most intelligent and the most spiritually qualified in the day to be in leadership. If we could translate it today, it would be like Nicodemus could be in the Senate and on the Supreme Court at the same time. There were very few people like him. Just to be his status, just to be where he was in society, he had to memorize all 24 chapters not 24 pages, 24 chapters, word for word of the book of the Mishnah, which was a book about the rules of living for the religious elite of the day. This guy is brilliant, and often fives are extremely intelligent. Often fives have that that side of brilliance to them, and they will let you know in a very calm and monotone way how brilliant they often are. There's a Pharisee named Nicodemus who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. Now, One of the things Jesus is going to confront Nicodemus with, and one of the things, if you are a five, that you really need to process if you want to be a healthy five, is you need to work hard to get out of your head, which comes very naturally to you, and into your heart. You cannot think your way into heaven. 
Nicodemus comes with a very intellectual question that we're going to read in a moment. And, and he's wanting to know about this thing called eternal life. But, but as an observer, he's processing and he's thinking and he, he's trying to figure out the logic of what it could really be to know God in a personal way. And he's, he's trying to wrap his mind around who Jesus is and you can't do that. How do you take a little boy's lunch from his Star Wars lunch kit and feed thousands of people with one lunch? How do you wrap your mind around someone that could walk on water? How do you figure out or reason into the place of understanding somebody that could raise dead people back to life? And so Nicodemus is trying to process all of this. But faith, while it's something you can observe with your mind, we also have to understand that God's mind is far above our mind. And so we can observe some things intellectually, but you will never fully embrace faith with just your mind. It is also a heart issue. He came to Jesus in verse 2 at night. It wasn't just speaking in this verse of the time of day. It's speaking of the condition of humanity in that day. It was a dark time in the world. A time of religious oppression. A time of hopelessness often created by a religious system because religious systems often create deep hopelessness. If all we have is an intellectual religious system, then we have a scenario that we can't even keep all the rules that we make. And this type of religion creates a hopelessness in people. It was a dark time. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, this man who was highly intellectual, extremely smart, had attained all of these credentials in culture and society, calls Jesus Rabbi. This is like the smartest of the smart acknowledging, I think you're smarter. I think you know more. Rabbi, we know that you're a teacher who's come from God, for no one could perform the signs you're doing if God were not with him. And Jesus replied, very truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. Nicodemus, you're not going to understand this just with your mind. This is not going to be something, the concept of faith And knowing a God we cannot see, we see the evidence of God, but knowing a God we cannot see will not be fully embraced simply intellectually. You must be born again. Jesus is saying, you can't observe your way into heaven. You're not going to just observe enough. And this is the reason that many people that are highly intelligent have a hard time with faith and never really fully become a follower of Christ because they can't figure it all out. But if you're highly intelligent, you must understand, you you know this very well, not even you are perfect. You may be closer to it than most of us, but you're not perfect. And so if there is a God, he's got to be big enough that even the best of our minds and our frail humanity can't figure him out. Otherwise, he would have to be a pretty small God. So even if the smartest of us could figure him out, that's going to diminish who God is. And Jesus is saying, when he uses this phrase, born again, it's intentional. But born again speaks to something we embrace with the heart, not the mind. There are many intellectuals that know a lot about the Bible, but they know nothing about God. I've met people that have studied and know the Greek. Think about who Nicodemus was. He was familiar with the Greek, the Hebrew. He could speak Aramaic. He understood all the concepts. He could reason through everything. But he's coming, basically acknowledging, okay, I know a lot about a lot of things, and I've studied a lot about God. I've memorized all 24 chapters of the book of the Mishnah. I know a lot, but I don't know you personally. And then he asked the question that fives ask. 
Maybe if, if you have kids and you're wondering, I wonder, I wonder what number my kids are on the Enneagram. Be careful with that. You won't really know until late in the teenage years. But if you have a child that asks this question all the time, why? Or how? How? Why? How? Why? And you answer, why? And you answer again, why? And as a parent, you're like, mm. they might be a five. Notice what Nicodemus says. Okay, Jesus hits him with something that's beyond the mind. It goes to the heart. How can someone be born again when they are old? He's still trying to process information related to faith with his mind. How can someone be born when they are old? Nicodemus asked. Surely he cannot enter a second time into the mother's womb to be born. And Jesus answered. You're still trying to process here, not here. Very truly, I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and the Spirit. What does he mean, born of water? Well, just before birth, water breaks. And I, I didn't know a lot about this until, obviously, I was married and we began to have kids. And I discovered, just FYI, it's not just a little bit of water. It's a whole lot of water. A whole lot of water. And then once that happens... Boom, you're born. Every one of us has experienced it, but nobody remembers it because we don't remember back that early. But he's saying, you must be born of water. There's a natural process physically that happens. And the spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the spirit gives birth to spirit. There must be, if you're going to know God in a personal way, if I'm going to know God in a personal way, there must be a spiritual transaction that takes place. It cannot happen just because you know a lot or you've read a lot in your Bible or you've got some good answers to some theological questions. It won't just happen because you're really smart and you figured some things out that other people haven't figured out. There has to be this spiritual transaction that takes place and you cannot know God in a personal way without being born of the Spirit, the Spirit of God doing something in your life or mine. It's impossible. You should not be surprised at my saying you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it's going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. Nicodemus, there are some aspects of faith you will never figure out. But rather than looking at that and causing it to, to, to cause you to be just sort of debilitated in your progress with your faith, look at it from a perspective of being grateful that God is so big, so vast, so majestic that there's no way I could ever figure out everything about him. Be grateful. Let it point to the fact of how big God is, not that he may not be there at all. And notice what Nicodemus says again, how, 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 why, how, how can this be? (laughs) Fives, you can be so stuck in your head, you never live in your heart. It's one of the things you've got to be aware of as a five, and you're good at it. You're good at processing things most of us are not. You're smarter than most of us. You come to C3 and you wonder, why is he the one on the platform? Why is he talking? Because I know more than him. I mean, you you process things in a very unique way. But you can get stuck in your head. And when you're stuck in your head, you can be stuck inside of yourself. And when you're stuck inside of yourself, you're not really much good to anybody around you. Jesus, you're Israel's teacher, said Jesus. And do you not understand these things? Very truly, I tell you, we speak of what we know and we testify to what we have seen, but still you people do not accept our testimony. 
I have spoken to you of earthly things, and you do not believe. How then will you believe if I speak of heavenly things? In this next part, this next part, I love this. No one has ever gone into heaven except the one who comes from heaven, the Son of Man. Why is Jesus the perfect guide? Because he's taking us to where he's from. For everybody else, it's just opinions. But he's taking us to where he's from. No, no one else has been to heaven and come back to report about it. But Jesus says, that, that's where I came from and that's where I want to I take you. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up. It's a reference to Numbers chapter 12 where people were being killed. And, and so Moses, God tells him to put a sta- snake on this spear and lift it up in the air. And when somebody gets bitten by a snake, if they look up at that, they would be saved. And so it wasn't what was in Moses' hand. It was the act of obedience of what Moses was doing. And so Jesus is referencing something that in that culture, Nicodemus is going to be aware of. Remember, he knows all the Bible. He's memorized all kinds of stuff. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the son of man must be lifted up that everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. And all of that leads up to the verse that that we put everywhere. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. Stop. Does that make sense? If you were God, would you love everybody? I mean, everybody? 5.20 p.m. on I-4, would you love everybody? The guy that owns your favorite football team and thinks he's a great coach when he needs to just keep his freaking hands out of it, would you love him? Like, for God so loved the world, the person you work with that just is impossible. For God so loved the world, everybody, no exceptions. You know what that means? God not only loves but likes people that we don't. For God so loved the world, you know what that means? God loves and likes you even when you don't like you. Even when you feel unlovable in your worst moment. And as the church, as the church, we have the opportunity. And if we're living like Jesus, we're supposed to function in a way where we love people no matter what, where every single person matters no matter what. We are not the kind of community of faith where we give up on people because they have a bad day or a bad season because Jesus didn't give up on us. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. I don't have just one child, I have four, but I got to be honest, I wouldn't give any of them up for you. Like, I'm not being mean, I just, I I just, I cannot imagine giving one of my kids, I, I cannot, but God loved us so much that he was willing to give his only son for us, that whoever believes in him, and this is where, this is where fives, and not just fives, but many people trip up. Because it's deeper than just intellectual belief, it's heart belief. The most accurate word technically would be trust. I believe in George Washington, but it doesn't change my life. I believe the Cowboys have won some Super Bowls way more than the Giants, but it doesn't change my life. So just believing in Jesus, is it, it's not just something that happens intellectually, Nicodemus. It's not just something that happens in your mind, fives. It's something that is a heart issue. It is an issue of deep personal inner trust. Whoever trusts in him. What am I trusting in? The fact that God 
keeps his word and did send his only son to die for your sin and for my sin, to pay the penalty for your sin and for my sin, because Scripture says without payment of sin, there can be, there can be no forgiveness of sin. So Jesus died for me, paying for what I can't pay for, because he was a perfect sacrifice, and I'm not. I'm broken, and so are you. That whoever believes in him shall not perish, but will live forever, have eternal life. So fives, you are an amazing gift to the world because you reflect God's wisdom. That's who you are. When you're functioning in a healthy way, you reflect the wisdom of God. If you're a five, your basic motivation is to gain knowledge. How? Why? How? Why? You, you want to know more. You crave knowing more. You, you study. You figure things out. You want to know more about stuff that a lot of us just don't care about because you crave good information and you want to have good information and you, you just want to know more and more and more. In an election year, you're going to read every voter's guide you can get your hand on. You're going you're gonna to research until you're exhausted researching. You, you want to gain knowledge because it's important to you that you know more than most other people. Because you recognize that you're sharper. You recognize how stupid the rest of us are. And it annoys you, frankly. And so you are in this path of trying to gain knowledge. What what do you avoid? You avoid incompetence. You can't stand incompetence. It's one of the reasons you have trouble with people at work sometimes. is because the level of their incompetence drives you nuts. It's one of the reasons often that fives have a hard time serving in a church because you're going to serve among some people that are incompetent. You have a pastor who's incompetent in some areas. We're all broken. You're incompetent too. You just don't know it yet. But, but as a five, this drives you nuts. Now let's look at when you're healthy. If you're a healthy five, you remain calm and focused in decisions and processing. You remain calm and focused no matter what's going on. If you get injured and you go to the emergency room, you want the surgeon to be a five. Because the surgeon's going to look at you and say, you lost your left foot and your right leg. There's a left arm missing and you have no ears. You don't want a four. A four is going to be in the corner crying saying, you must feel so bad. You don't want a three. A three is going to say, I'm not operating on him. I don't want that loss on my record. He's dead. A one is going to say, you shouldn't have done that. You should not have done that. You shouldn't have. <laughs> if, if you're in a crisis, you want a five to be somewhere in charge of the process because they're going to remain calm. I don't know if you've ever listened to the recording of Captain Sully on the airline when the plane lost its engines because of birds. If you've never listened to that recording, just Google it this afternoon. It's on YouTube. You can hear what was happening in the plane. Basically, he says, you'll find us in the Hudson. What? <laughs> like, how are you that calm? You'll find us. We'll be in the Hudson. That's where we're going to land. It's going to be fun. We'll be all right. We'll be there. Like, that, that's just a five. When you're healthy, you function like that. Things don't rattle you because you've got so much up here. You, you rely on your ability to figure it out even in the moment because typically you can. Also, when you're healthy, when you're healthy, you're very thoughtful. And your knowledge in multiple areas makes you extremely perceptive. When a five is healthy, they are someone you want to be married to. When they're not healthy, you don't want to be married to them. But when they're healthy, because they're so perceptive and they're craving and gaining knowledge, part of what they want to know is more about you. So they're thoughtful. 
They think of things. It's who they are. It's how they are. Also, when a five is healthy, they're insightful and observant, desiring for the world to be a less chaotic and more organized place. If you're a five, you want things to be orderly. You want things to be organized. When you were a kid, you took all the little toy cars and you lined them up along the wall perfectly in a neat little row. And if you'd play with one, you'd put that back exactly where it was before you got another one. And if you walked in and your brother messed up the room, you want to kill somebody because it's not orderly and it needs to be kept like it was. When you're healthy, you bring in a healthy way without offending or ticking off people an insight that other people just miss. And you want the world to be less chaotic and more organized and you help bring that about. Now, When you're unhealthy, if you're a five, you shift from being observant to being detached. When you're unhealthy, the we-ness of everybody else annoys you to the point that it controls you. And you can't stand to be around that level of incompetence. So you detach. When you're unhealthy, you don't engage emotionally or socially in healthy ways. If you're a five, you're not going to struggle with, am I going to go to this party to be the life of the party? You just don't want to go to the party at all when you're unhealthy. The need to avoid incompetence can cause fives to withdraw completely from the world around them. If you have a child that you think is a five, the last thing you want to do is give them an Xbox to put in their bedroom or let them take the cell phone to their room or even a book because as people, we're all messy and we don't make sense, but a video game can make sense or a good book can make sense. And if you're not careful as a five, you can withdraw so much that you live in a cocoon And you don't interact with people as much as you should. If you're unhealthy, your pattern becomes isolation. What's the core sin of a five? Now, keep in mind, we all have sin. Every number we've talked about a core sin. And there's not any number where people are like, yes, I love my core sin. Nobody likes it. So you're not going to like this five. You're not going to like it. Your core sin is greed, specifically stinginess. And so you're stingy with your time. Because it's your time. If you're a parent and you're functioning in an unhealthy way as a five, you don't spend a lot of time with your kids because you're working on your career to create a living for your kids. You're trying to study and advance yourself and know more and get better at what you do. So you view it as loving them because because you're you're stingy with that time. It's your time and you've got to be better at it. You've got to know more than everybody else. And you're smarter than the people you work with. So you've got to keep figuring things out so you don't spend a lot of time with your family. You're also stingy with your emotions. If you love a five, it can be like living on the other side of a glass wall from them. And they're very slow to let you in. They don't show emotion very well at all. If you're a five, one of the things you need to be aware of is that if you're functioning in an unhealthy way, people do not feel appreciated by you. If you lead a team, if you lead an organization or in your family, 
if you're a five, the practical things that you're doing that make sense to you logically because you're providing for your family and you're helping to make things happen and you're paying all the bills and you're very practical about how you get everything done and you've got everything in order and you've got 12 spreadsheets on what to do if you need to change the oil. I mean, you've got it all laid out, but they don't feel love from you. You have to work to show emotions because you live so much in your head. You don't know how to live in your heart. If you're a five, your core sin is stinginess, not just with time and emotions, but with knowledge. If you're unhealthy, you don't want to share everything you know because you don't want everybody to know what you know. You want to know the most. You want to always have that information that you're aware of that they're not. And you've worked hard to attain it. You've invested the time. You've spent the time. And so you've worked hard. And it's, it's your knowledge. And if they want to figure it out, bless God, they can go read a book. Do what you did. Spend the time you spent. It makes sense. Don't be lazy. And if I tell you what I know, I'm enabling your laziness. <laughs> You're also stingy with your money. Because you work hard for it. You earn it. And you're very greedy and stingy with your stuff when you're unhealthy because it's yours. What's so fascinating about this to me is as fives, you're smart enough to know. Like, I'm not even a five and I know this. None of that stuff's going with you when this life is over. But you're so, you're greedy with your stuff. So if your kid wants to borrow the car, I'm not talking about the kid that's had four tickets. Don't let them borrow the car. I'm just talking about your kid wants to borrow the car. I mean, it's your, it's your stuff. And there's a little bit of a, mm, if they need some money. But dad, it's for college. <laughs> You're just like, no, you have a hard time. Here's the reality. The healthy five is always in pursuit of Generosity. One of the ways you know you're healthy if you're a five is if you're pursuing generosity and you're pursuing it your entire life because none of us ever arrive. None of us ever get to the place where God looks down from heaven and is like, wow, well done. You're good. You don't need to change anything else. That's not going to happen. So a healthy five is always pursuing generosity. Here's what's fascinating about Nicodemus. Jesus has this exchange in this conversation with Nicodemus where he's trying to get him out of his head and into his heart because a whole lot of people will miss heaven by about 18 inches. And he's trying to get him to think. For, now, if you're a five, you're like, well, I don't know that it's 18 inches. I'm technically five foot ten. And I think, okay, stop it. You know what I mean. You know what I mean. Two other places Nicodemus shows up. I believe, I can't prove this to you, this is just my opinion, I believe that Nicodemus got it and that Jesus got to Nicodemus. I believe it's possible for every five, if you want to and if you pursue this and you allow the Spirit of God to work in your life, because remember, it takes the Spirit of God in any of us. It's not something we can perform or create. I believe Nicodemus puts his faith and trust in Christ, not just with his head and what he knows, but with his heart and who he is. He shows up in two other places. One of them is in John chapter 7 where Jesus is on trial and Nicodemus brings it up and says, hey, this this is not fair. He's not getting a fair trial. The other place we find Nicodemus is in John 19 where after Jesus is crucified, when they take him off the cross, he's going to be buried in the tomb of Joseph of Arimathea, but Nicodemus pays all the funeral expenses. Five who's generous. John chapter 19 is where we read about it. He was accompanied by Nicodemus, the man who earlier had visited Jesus at night. Nicodemus brought a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about 75 pounds. 
Now, what would that cost? You might be thinking, aloe, I can go to CVS and get aloe. No, think essential oils. 75 pounds of myrrh and aloes and all the burial spices. Scholars believe that this cost, Nicodemus, there's a broad range because we can't be sure, but these things were even more rare and more special in that day. Most biblical scholars believe this cost Nicodemus between 50,000 U.S. dollars and 500,000 U.S. dollars. Because a healthy five is always pursuing generosity. Nicodemus says, I'll pay for it. This man changed my life. He, I, I, I was stuck up in my head and he helped me to start to know what it was to live in my heart and to feel things. Taking Jesus' body, the two of them wrapped it with spices and strips of linen. Nicodemus became generous. He became generous with his time. On the eve of Passover, as a religious leader, he's burying a dead guy that the religious killed. He became generous with his emotions. He cared to the point of needing to take care of this. And needing to make sure that Jesus had the proper burial. He became generous with his knowledge. Because you only spent that kind of money to bury someone in that day if they were a king. And Nicodemus had studied enough and maybe he dug into some Old Testament prophecy. And he began to realize how many of the prophecies Jesus had fulfilled. And so he becomes generous with his knowledge. We're not going to give Jesus just a regular burial in the tomb of Joseph of Arimathea. We're going to give him the burial of a king. And he became generous with his money. Somewhere between $50,000 and $500,000. So as a five, you can be everything God created you to be. You're intensely special. And you can bring all of these things to us. Your time, your emotions, your knowledge, your resources. And you can be a tremendous benefit to the world. How many people throughout history did God take the time to write down about three different places in the scriptures that person's story? And this is the guy that somehow throughout the ages is a part of the story that the most famous verse in all the Bible is connected to. You can have a profound impact. You can help the rest of us go further, faster because of how you're gifted but not if you stay stuck in your head. You've got to learn to feel and live in your heart to the point that other people matter more than they annoy you. So for yourself, if you're a five, you've got to get out of your head and get in touch with your feelings. And you hate that. It's part of the reason a lot of fives don't go to community group. Because community group, we talk about how we feel about stuff, and that just like you have no desire. You, you do not, like, you, you would rather eat charcoal than go to community group. I mean, it's just like... I don't want to discuss my feelings. I know how I feel, and it's none of your business, and I don't care how you feel. You probably feel that way because you're ignorant, and if you'd read some more, you wouldn't feel that way. You need to learn some things. I mean, you just, you just you need to get out of your head and in touch with your feelings. And then fives, when you think about others, there's a verse. You might want to write this down, Proverbs 18.1. He who separates himself seeks his own desire. He quarrels against all sound wisdom. You will never be who God created you to be alone. You can't connect and know a God who is community by yourself. And he who separates himself 
seeks his own desire, you just become more and more selfish. And by doing so, while you're so smart, you reject all sound wisdom. Because it was the prayer of Jesus that we would be one, not with ourselves, but with each other. So fives, you need to press into community and relationships. And it's uncomfortable, but you need to press into it. Because we grow in the places that are uncomfortable. When we're uncomfortable, that's the areas that growth happens the most. So what would your life look like? We're still early in a brand new year and brand new decade. If you said, you know what, I'm, I'm, I'm going to do that. I'm going to begin to look for ways to press into community with other people and to press into relationships. I, I'm going to take the time to, to not just eat by myself in my room or on the back porch. I'm going to sit down with my family and press into those relationships. And it, some of the things they say, I'm, I, I might develop a twitch because it's going to annoy me, but I'm going to press into it and I'm going to make sure I'm spending time. And then in your relationship with God, 2 Timothy chapter 3. Now, this verse is written to women technically in the text, but it applies to everyone. It's universal. And there are actually more men that are fives than women. Women are too, but more men. This verse, always learning and never able to come to the knowledge of truth. See, the dangers of five is you can be always learning, but never know and live the truth. You can be smarter than everybody and dumber than everybody at the same time. You can be the smartest person in the areas that don't really matter. And the stuff that's not going to affect who you are a hundred years from now. How do you love a five? If you're married to a five, if you have a child that's a five, close friend, how do you love a five? The most important way up front is to acknowledge their need for personal space and time. There's something about fives, the way they're wired, we exhaust them. We just do. Life exhausts. And they need that. They need alone time. If you're not a five, you're not going to understand this. Like a, a, a five would think, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go get in the car and just drive for a couple hours by myself. I'd rather jump off a bridge. But, but for a five, that's like, oh my gosh. Fives, a- Angie, my bride, is a four-wing five. And so there are times she just needs alone time. Hey, if you're married to a five, you need to understand it's not that they don't love you. It's they need some time alone each day. They need some time for the mind to just decompress. It's the way they're wired because they're carrying so much through every day and they live with a lot of annoying things because they know us. And so they just need that time to just take a breath. Some of you, you, you get home from the office and before there are any conversations, you just want about 15 minutes of quiet. You, you just need... Ladies, it's why when you have little kids, ladies that are five, you, you live in the bathroom and they're banging on the door and you just want to be alone for a little bit. You just want to somehow ask the neighbor if you can use their bathtub because somehow your kids just won't. You need to acknowledge. So if you have a child that's a five, they're going to need alone time. Where this becomes critically important is if they share a room with a sibling. You need to make sure as a parent you begin to recognize they seem to need some time alone. And so you get the sibling out of the room and you, you just let the, hey, you got 30 minutes. Just go crazy. And go crazy, it's okay to them. It's like reading a book. That's going crazy. So it, it's fine. You're going to be okay. They're not going to tear down the house. But they need that alone time and you need to make sure it's there. Now, if you are a five, your, your alone time needs to have limits placed on it by you. It's one thing to have some time alone. It's another thing to live alone. 
And so if you are a five, recognize it's a valid need in your life. It's how you're wired. But don't spend the day in the room. Don't spend your life away from the people that love you the most and the people that you love. Step into those uncomfortable places and press into feelings, even though it's going to feel awkward and you will experience more personal growth than you ever have. How do you love a five? Express how much it means to you when they do engage. So when they do have dinner with the family, when they do spend time and hang out in the evening, hey, thank you so much. I I know this isn't always easy for you, but the effort you're making, I just want to say thank you. And it makes a difference, and we love hanging out with you. Don't criticize how they have fun. If you love a five, don't criticize them. One of the worst things you can do to a person that's a five that you love is to embarrass them. Embarrassing them is like kryptonite. It shuts them down. You embarrass them, they won't want to dive in with you at all ever again. If you embarrass them, it takes longer to overcome than if you embarrass someone that's another number. So don't criticize how they have fun. Your spouse gets a new car, and you don't know where they are, and you think, okay, maybe it's alone time. Maybe they're sitting in the bedroom, a little bit alone. So you go in, and they're not there, and you're like, where are they? And you find them out in the new car reading the manual in its entirety because they want to gain knowledge, and this is full of so much good information, and they want to know what every button does. And you think you buy a car to drive it. No, you buy it to read the manual to know everything it'll do. But if that's what they enjoy, don't criticize it. So fives, I'm not criticizing you. I'm explaining. I'm explaining to everybody else in the room. Don't criticize how they choose to have fun. Don't embarrass them. And then utilize their knowledge and wisdom. If you're not very bright, one of the smartest things you can do is to recognize you're not very bright. You need a friend that's a five. Hey, man, where are you going on vacation? I, I don't know. He's planning it. He's, he's, he's got it. We have a blast. He just figures it out. How are you going to get there? I, he's, he's got some website where he figures out the cheapest flights on the planet. I, I don't know. He's got it taken care of. What are you having for dinner? I, I have no idea. She's got it. It's, it's going to be taken care of. I don't know. Like, if you're, if you're just not as bright as some other people, it's okay. Just connect with somebody that's really bright. You have a five in your life. Utilize their knowledge and their wisdom. Like, is that a poisonous snake or not a poisonous snake? I have, I have no idea. I need a five. Is this poisonous? It just needs to die. That's all I know. But you want to be connected At work, the fives around you, utilize their knowledge and wisdom. They get things done. They're smart. They know how to make things happen. And if they're healthy, they'll want to show you. They won't just keep it to themselves. Fives, you have a unique ability that very few people have. There are a couple other numbers that have some of this, but you have an extra dose. Fives, you have the ability to elevate the people around you more than anybody else. You have the ability to help other people go further, faster, more than anybody else. What you know about faith, man, you, you should be leading a small group. Now, not if you're prideful and proud of yourself for how much you know. That's unhealthy. Not if you think you're the bomb.com. That, like that, no. You don't need, and by the way, don't Google, I don't know what bomb.com is. Don't Google it. Stay safe. Angie tells me that all the time, and I forget, because I'm dumb and she's smart, so I've attached to her. But utilize their knowledge and wisdom. Five, here's your prayer if you're a five. God, help me to connect my heart to yours. Help me to feel more deeply and to embrace the mystery of who you are. Man, fives, what would happen if you prayed that every day? Prayer's not over. Help me to have grace for people who are incompetent and change my heart on community groups. That's what you need to do if you're a five. Help me to have grace for people who are incompetent. Because the most incompetent people around you, God loves just as much as he loves you. 
And by the way, God doesn't love you because of how smart you are. The highest IQ doesn't impress God. He loves you because you're his. And how proud is a father of a child who helps other people be better? God, help me to connect my heart to yours. God, I want to love people the way you love people. It's hard for me. He's an idiot. She's an idiot. It's challenging for me. But God, help me to connect my heart to yours. Help me to feel more deeply and to embrace the mystery of who you are because I'm not going to be able to figure everything out, God, and I want to be okay with that. I want to be okay with not being able to figure it all out, that you're so big, I just can't. And God, help me to have grace for people who are incompetent because fives, you, just like me, are a sinner. You're broken. You have some areas, maybe not as many as me, but you have some areas where you've messed up. And you, if you're a follower of Christ, have experienced the grace and the mercy and the forgiveness of a holy God. And one of the greatest ways you can represent him and be like him is to extend that same grace and forgiveness to the people around you. Not because they deserve it, because we don't deserve it, but because you want to be like Jesus. And you need to dive into a community group and not through criticizing. Nobody wants to be in a group with a critical person, not through criticizing, but through loving and enhancing and thinking about what others in the group may need over what you may need. You will help people go further faster. Are you part of the group because you want to show off or are you part of the group because you want other people to be better? Are you part of the group because you want all the attention or do you want somebody else to get attention for how they're growing? Fives, you, you are gifted to change the world and it's a beautiful thing. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you for your love, your mercy, and your grace that I just talked about. Thank you for loving me, forgiving me, extending grace and mercy to me. Not because I'm good, but because you are. Father, I pray for the fives in this room this morning. That this week, they would think about the things we've talked about. They would pray that prayer each day. And they would, they would step into feeling and expressing those feelings. They would become generous with their time their knowledge, their money, the resources you've given them. With heads bowed and eyes closed, maybe you're here this morning. And maybe you know this morning, not just in a head knowledge way, but deep inside you, that the greatest need of your life is to commit your life to Christ. Maybe you're a five and you know a lot about God, but you don't really know God personally. Or maybe you're a different number. And you know a lot or maybe a little about God but you just know you want to know him personally. If that's where you are, I want to invite you to pray a very simple prayer. You can pray it out loud or you can pray it in the quietness of your heart. You just say, dear God, I know that I need you. Please come into my life. Forgive my sin and help me to live for you. In Jesus' name, amen. 